Welcome to The Director's Take, a podcast where we explore how you go from directing something with your mates to being the most senior decision maker on a film set. I'm Marcus Thomas. And I'm Oz Arshad, and we are both writer directors at the beginning of our TV and feature film directing journeys. The pathway doesn't exist, so we are going to do our best to help you bridge the gap. Hello and welcome back. The BFI Network applications are now open and available to apply for anyone over the age of 18 who isn't currently in full-time education. And there's been uh, a lot of furore, let's say, over on social media from people at various stages and levels about how tricky this can be. So I've never successfully gotten funding, Oz has, so this felt like a good opportunity to bring on a BFI talent exec from Film Hub North and demystify what that process is like for everyone. Ben Taylor went to college in Nottingham and then migrated to Sheffield Uni to study and then became involved in the Sheffield Dockfest. He then migrated again, but this time to Scotland. Ben was then Screen Executive at Screen Scotland, working across scripted and factual funding for film and television, along with support for festival distribution and training. He has also held roles as Biffa's Talent and Training Manager, Creative Europe Media Officer for Scotland, and was responsible for launching Glasgow's Film Festival's industry-focused strand and at Crossover Labs managed the interactive at Sheffield programme. Now, he is a BFI talent executive at Film Hub North, supporting filmmakers in the region through funding events and guidance. Welcome to the director's take, Ben Taylor. Thanks for having me. You got my you got my year in Nottingham. Like you've, you've done some good research there. I thought you were going to say like he started his career as a sales assistant at a game station in Crewe. I, I thought that's where you're going to go, but... Um, no, yeah, you've, you've nailed it. So thank you very much for having me. Thanks for coming on. It's it's super helpful. I've been sort of listening to a couple of podcasts so in the in the run-up to this and that listen to the one with Mark Brennan, which is absolutely amazing. And if I, I can offer like 10% of the advice and guidance that he did, I think this will be a success because that was an amazing podcast. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. And if you haven't listened to that yet, go and listen. Um, so let's get right into it. So I think just to break it down very simply, what is the job of a talent exec and how many are there around the country? Um, so I am from Denmark North, I'm based in the North. There's also Southwest, Southeast of England. Uh, there's the London folks specifically for London. And then there's sort of the network folks, which are in Scotland, Northern Ireland and Wales that operate a little bit differently uh, to the England ones. They sort of have their own sort of and specific funds, um, but they are very, very closely aligned. And Doc Society is also kind of part of um, some network club as well in terms of their short films. So, but in terms of what we do, um, I, I'll give you the give you the spiel. So there's a Midlands hub as well, right? Yes. Uh, very sorry to okay. the Midlands for forgetting that's, about them. That's me. Yeah. Very sorry, <laughs> like... sorry to Alex for forgetting about the Midlands for a second there. To be fair, I just try and block out the Midlands as well. Yeah. We support writers, directors, and producers. Uh, like new and emerging filmmakers at that level and we do that in sort of three different ways we do it through funding so we have a uh, production fund for shorts we do it um, and we also have a feature treatment fund for the early development of feature projects and uh, we'll do it through training programs we have a training program for writers directors and producers and then the third way is just generally through sort of offering guidance uh, networking opportunities, events, screening, sort of trying to bring people together and sort of connect people from across the north, um, and sort of just yeah offer like signposting to other opportunities, trying to find other opportunities for other filmmakers that we work with as well. Um, and although it's 
like the funding and the money that most people want to talk about, which I totally, totally get, um, those connections that we make and sort of introducing the right person to the right person um, can be like just as important as someone getting a funded show off the ground. Um, so yeah, it's a really sort of holistic approach to supporting new and emerging filmmakers that we have. Because I think that was one of the things we, we got from our producer chat with Helen Simmons last week. If you're not listening yet, check it out. But she was basically saying it's like the problem what's happening now is because the deadlines are open everyone's scrambling to find a producers and that's kind of the wrong time to do it it should be part of your remit to be just trying to connect with other filmmakers anyway and allowing these relationships to occur so that when these things come around you're ready for it and i guess reaching out to you is um and being involved and showing your face at these sorts of events is how you is one way of doing that yeah completely completely and i think in terms of that reaching out to producers yeah there is a lot of that going on the email I'm getting most is, you know, where do I find a producer? Uh, you know, we try and help as much as we can. We do kind of online mixes, in-person mixes. We offer roundtables where, you know, people can just throw questions at us. But yeah, it, it is challenging. Um, and I think a lot of writing directors maybe sort of go about it the wrong way sometimes. I think often they'll just, you know, approach somebody and say like, will you, will you, will you produce my movie for me? I think if you're doing that like now and you're coming at it from that angle, you're basically saying to that producer, like, hey, will you work with me for very little money for 18 months um, with you know, no guarantee of reward? And I think that's sort of the wrong angle. So we really um, sort of push rising directors to approach producers in a way of saying, like, hey, I've got, I've got this idea. I'm thinking of applying for the fund. I saw your short, you know, whatever it is. It was in the same kind of vein that I'm looking at. Would you be interested in a chat? Because that leaves sort of the door open for that producer to sort of influence that project, you know, get involved in it, um, and really start to influence it and, and try and help that and make sure it's not just the producer working for the director because that's not what it is. Like we want to see applications that are clearly collaborative in nature. There's been obviously online a, a whole thing about producers and there was a bit of a kind of like a bit of a debacle online with it and that's, that prompted us to actually get Helen on. To, to kind of demystify some of the things about what a producer actually does and doesn't do um, and their role. So having a producer can almost be a bit of a barrier for entry for filmmakers who aren't well connected. Um, and then people might, you know, bring someone, you know, who's really inexperienced on board to meet that criteria, which is a bit of a tricky exercise because you're less, not you specifically, but as, as somebody who's in charge of the pot or, or, or BFI as an institution that's in charge of the pot, you're less likely to trust an inexperienced producer with money. What advice have you got for people? Because I'm in many filmmaking groups. Yesterday, late last night, there was someone putting a, a request for a producer. Yeah, you, you do need a producer to apply to our short film fund. As per the guidance, the fund is for people who've done a little bit already. You know, it's not sort of, you know, it's very rare that we would support someone fresh out of, sort of university, for example. You do need to have a bit of a track record, and that counts for producers as well. Um, and the simple fact is, at that level, far more people want to be rising directors than producers. So there is a lack of them. A strong producer is incredibly valuable. But at the same time, because we know that there are fewer producers, we, we can sort of sometimes be a bit lenient in, in applications. And maybe that producer is a little junior. Or, you know, if, if that project is really good, the talent is really strong and we want to support it, we might say, okay, we want to support this project, but could we find you a co-producer to work with to kind of alleviate that risk? You know, if we think that that producer, for example, 
is really good on the ground. They've been on productions. They sort of know the ropes like loosely, or, you know, maybe they've just done a little bit out of university on top of what they've done in studying. Um, you know, we can say, okay, we'll spoil it, but we as talent execs will be like much closer to that project and know that we can't sort of, you know, just let, you know, be hands off with it. We might need to sort of take a closer, closer guard of it through production. So, you know, I, I do want some new producers to, you know, who are interested in applying for us, not be you know, too worried about that restriction because we do need them. And we've done the Creative Producer Lab for four or five years now. Um, so, and every year we've supported eight producers on that. So if you go to our website, you can see a list of you know, 40 producers who we, we know have got the capacity to deliver a short film because we've, they've gone through our training. Uh, and you know, the simple fact that they've signed up for that course suggests that they do want to be producers. So that's where we usually direct people to to try and find producers. I was just thinking those 40 producers are going to get absolutely slaughtered now. Um, <laughs> so good point. Like, honestly, some of the people who've come out of there have sort of you know gone through our funding and now looking at features, they've sort of gone past it. Uh, Radha Bandari, um, for example, uh, Holly Bryan, like she's done a couple of shorts with us. They are really good people, and I, I really look at sort of you know looking at that list if you are looking for a producer, but also coming along to our mixes, coming along to our roundtables. Um, we do do what we can to try and facilitate those connections. So I think when I moved to London from from the Midlands, I didn't know anyone at all, but I wanted to make films because I'd literally just moved there, so I had no network. Full stop. And then I tried meeting producers, and then like. A couple was like, yeah, yeah, well, let's have a chat. And then a few days before the deadline, I hadn't heard from them. They just kind of aired me. And so I was like left in this place where I couldn't apply. But I did anyway, uh, probably like 2015. It might have been eye shorts at that point. Um, <laughs> I just sent the script in and then all of the materials, like the budget and stuff, I just sent Word documents apologising <laughs> and explaining the situation. But I still got shortlisted and then I got hooked up with a producer afterwards. I assume that's not the... that's highly unlikely to happen now because I think the scheme was maybe slightly different because it was aimed at first-time filmmakers. I'm going to say my assumption there would be that you just wouldn't pass the eligibility to check. Like it wouldn't even make it to my desk. So yeah, to apply you have to be, you have to be part of a team. I think the perfect is you know separate writer-director-producer um, but you can be a writer-director working with a producer and then there's the sort of lesser-spotted writer-producer working with a director um, and I think just purely like the first thing that happens to application is this check for eligibility. Um, so I think at that point they would say like, okay, there's no producer on this project. Um, sorry, we, you know, it's ineligible. It's what I think would happen, but maybe someone wants to try it. When I did my film a couple of years ago, three years ago, whenever it was, um, I didn't, I couldn't find a local producer. I just couldn't cause I didn't know anyone. Um, so I had, um, worked with a producer that was in London. And that was, and that still met the criteria because I was a local filmmaker. Um, is that still valid? One hundred percent. Yeah. So your application will go to where the director is based. So you can work with a producer from across the UK, no problem at all. And uh, you don't have to just be in the north. Um, but so you working with a producer in London, your application came to us because you are in the north. So technically someone from, say, Hull could work with somebody from Scotland as a producer. Completely, 100%. Just to go back, so who should be reaching out to BFI Network talent execs? Like what age groups and skill levels do you, do you cover? And this isn't just for like this particular funding, but even just in terms of I've got a script, I don't know anyone in my local area. Can you help me find people and these sorts of things? 
But first off, on the age, like we we don't really consider age. It's more about kind of where you are in your career. Um, you know, we've supported people for film funding who are in their early twenties, and we've supported people in their fifties. Like it's just like where you are in your career. So you know, we are that kind of new and emerging talent, but we're also for people maybe who are possibly a little bit more experienced, but moving over from another area of like arts, for example. So you know, recently supported somebody to direct their first short, but they were quite an experienced like theater director, for example, and it made sense to do that. Our funding and our training programs, everything we do is about sort of looking at looking at talent and thinking, okay, will this take them from one point in their career and sort of elevate that to the next part of where they are? And network is for filmmakers who, who yeah, have done something already. Um, you know, maybe they've made a couple of shorts or themselves, or maybe, you know, they're a writer who's writing scripts and maybe they've managed to put something online. It's for something, people who've done a little bit already. And we sort of look at their work and we say, like, okay, do, do they have talent? Is the talent there in the work they're already making? And if so, like, can we support them to elevate that sort of next part of their their careers? So we are very open to sort of anybody like at that level. But also, if you're straight out of uni, if you've been at uni, I go to speak to universities all the time. Like, come to our roundtables, and yeah, if you're still a student, you're not eligible for our funding yet. You can come to our mix and start meeting people. Anybody can come to us and have that conversation. So just to completely reiterate, because there's a lot of fear and people don't reach out to you because they feel like you might reject them for some unknown reason. But can you just confirm anyone can reach out to you at any point if they're interested in a film? My email address is online. Like it's, you know, people can email me anytime. It's ben at filmhubnorth.org.uk. And it's the same for all the other execs, right? Yeah, I mean, it's people do it in different ways. So I know, for example, uh, in the South East, um, they have a kind of, um, they have a block in the diary, so like one-to-one, so you can just sign up for. So you, know, you can do that. I mean, I want our door to be like pretty open. Like when I graduated and when I was coming up, like there wasn't people in the regions. There was no individuals that you could contact. And I, I think the industry looks like a really closed shop, which I don't like at all. Um, I think as town execs, it's, our job to be accessible by basically anybody who wants to get into the industry. And yeah, that opens us up to people who maybe are nowhere near ready for our funding, but we can at least point them in the right direction, help them out and just be somebody they can can come to. Um, If somebody asked me for a one-to-one and I think it's, so we've got a one-to-one kind of after this call and it's a producer who um, is based in, in Bradford. And, you know, they sound like they are looking for projects to apply to the funding with and obviously we'll be producers. So I'm going to say that one-to-one, you know, but if I didn't have time, then I might just say, like, come to one of our roundtables. But we want to be as accessible as we can be. Okay. Uh, So, yeah, there might be people away from big cities in small villages dotted around the countryside and have only ever made terrible things on their phones with mates and things like that. So what sort of help do you offer to those uh, people outside of the traditional London and, I guess, now Manchester city spots? Um, So, yeah, I mean, these are people that I am, I say, particularly passionate about. I grew up in the countryside. I was on a farm in between Crewe and Stoke-on-Trent. Like there is no film industry there. There's no film connections there. And I really do believe that like talent can be 
anywhere, but obviously opportunity is not like that. That's that is the saying. Um, and I think part of what the the network hubs is about is you know getting us into areas uh, of the country that the BFI maybe weren't able to reach before and to reach out to those people. Um, so to, to those people, like we we try and do mixes in sort of cities and spaces that can act as catchment areas. Obviously, we can't. We're not going to go to Burnley, Oldham, and you know these small towns. But hopefully, if we do them in Manchester, you you can come along to them and find a way to get along. And also, we are continuing to work online a lot in the north. Um, so the pandemic and that shift online was really great for us because it actually allowed us to connect people from across the whole region. The the massive problem we have from the north is just how disparate all the cities and ev- and everybody is. Um, and it's hard to get around because the transport infrastructure is so bad in the north. So being online, you know, we can connect people from Newcastle to somebody in the Wirral. You know, we, we can help make those connections and, and reach those people and try and find a, a sort of way forward for them um, that they're not going to be hindered in their careers. And you know, for a lot of people, the, maybe the reason there's a reason why they can't move to one of the big cities. Maybe there's a reason they, they can't you know, do the jump to London, even for example. You know, be it disability, maybe their carers, for example, and those are people that like we we want to help and support. So yeah, absolutely, those people should be reaching out to their local town executive or come along to one of the roundtables um, because we you know, would love to speak to them. Just to go off the back of that, is there any sort of like bursaries and stuff available to help people with travel if they're in those areas and and struggling financially? Not officially, but mm. when we do our training programs and when we budget for them. We always put a little bit extra in the budget for like travel costs of people who might need it as a kind of accessibility line. So, I mean, that, that can mm-hmm. be travel, but it can also be, you know, maybe there's physical accessibility needs that that, that person needs to help them, uh, you know, attend that event. Um, we'll always we'll always do that. You know, our budgets are very tight. So, you know, when we're doing like, for example, we've got the NFTS Film of North director training program um, coming up in a couple of months. Um, Budget-wise, we can't offer travel for everybody. But if somebody said, "Hey, I'm all the way over here. I'm kind of struggling at the moment," then we would look to support that person. The submission for the BFI network are open, and the race has begun. What are the do's and don'ts for the application process? Um, so the do would be first off, I like, read the guidelines and have a thorough look of the application form. Um, I think a lot of people sometimes miss out on eligibility. Maybe they apply with a script that's 20 pages long and the maximum is 15, so they get knocked out on eligibility immediately. So I really, really do do that. In terms of like do's, like something that I really like to see in applications is directors who fully understand the canvas and the tools they have to work with. Like ones that really sort of geek out a little bit on uh, on color and composition and, and sound and using texture. I think a lot of applications we read, sort of filmmakers sort of, sort of double down on how important the story is and how much it means to them and how much they want to tell it, which, again, like, we, we want that. We want passionate filmmakers totally. But I, when I'm sort of reading the script and then looking at the application, I really want to see, like, okay, I can I can feel this. I understand that this is a director who really knows their onions. They've really thought this through. Like, that's what I like to see. Um, so yeah, a, a strong script that is, um, sort of backed up by that sort of application and maybe a kind of 
um, a deck or lookbook that kind of expands on the, those, those visuals and what you're looking for. I'm not really a fan of decks that are just like the fancy casting. Um, I'm like, okay, we're never going to get those people. So why are we doing this? Um, but one that you know has images that shows the kind of tone and really helps you picture it. I, I really like that. But a lot of it comes down to script. And it's like, okay, how is this script tied? Does it have a clear POV? Does it have a clear arc to it? Is it saying something that is is distinctive? And I crucially, like, is this the script that's going to offer a good enough platform to that talent to elevate their careers? Sometimes we have, you know, really strong teams apply with scripts that we think are, you know, if just aren't really going to cut it if, if we made it and made it to festivals. And when we think it would just take a lot of work to get it to where it needs to be. So you know, we, we turned down that project. I guess that comes down to what we, we always go back on. Oz is like, everything comes down to story ultimately. And that's the thing you need to be cracking first. And that's what's going to get you your foot in the door in here. And uh, yeah, just to reiterate on the, on the no, on the, on the, um, the filtering for eligibility. Um, whenever I've kind of, being around people who are involved in panels and stuff, you're basically because you got so many applications, you're just looking to, like for reasons to make the pot smaller, right? Um, like I know it shouldn't be looked at like that, but that's kind of what it is because you get so many. It's like okay, what can we judge like based on the criteria, right? I would say eligibility happens before it even gets to me. Exactly. So I get the amount of applications I get to. So yeah, eligibility is done sort of within the BFI. I mean, shall I take? Shall I take you through the process of how a sort of network short gets assessed? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Let's do that. So, right, when you apply, you're going to go into, you know, a big bucket of all the applications, and that's when it's checked for eligibility by the BFI team there. And then it's going to get sort of, sort of siphoned off and go to the, um, the talent exec that's in that region. So, you know, as your application came to the north, because you're based in the north, and it went to... Roxy, because she's the talent exec in sort of north of the north. So I'm responsible for Sheffield, Manchester, Liverpool. Uh, Roxy is Leeds up to up to Newcastle. Um, so once it's checked for eligibility, the first people who are actually going to look at it is the team of, sort of readers that sort of work for the BFI. So they're going to look at the application and they're going to rate it uh, um, either pass, consider or recommend on the quality of the script and the talents of those filmmakers. So they are the first people who look at it. And then it'll come to us as talent execs where we will then look at the application. Um, and for, I read the script first because I just want to go into that cold and just get a sense of what this project is. And then I sort of read the application. And my question there is like, okay, does this filmmaker have talent is there something there and i really think that even projects that are made very cheaply and you know even could look a, a bit shonky shot on your phone whatever it is but through those kind of pieces you can see if somebody can tell a story visually you can tell a director who knows where to put the camera or you can understand an art you know storytelling in short form like you can see those things from like really rough material so, you know, we ask ourselves, does that, is this filmmaker talented and is this script a platform to take a step in that, in their career? Is that going to, is this script going to open doors for this filmmaker? Are they ready for it? That's what we're sort of looking to do. Now I sort of come with my feelings 
and then I basically will check it against the, the readers. And if either me or that reader have recommended that project, then it gets shortlisted within Film Hub North. So sometimes I won't like it, but the reader has really, really recommended it and is really passionate about it. And there's the potential there that I have missed something in this. Like I've not appreciated something in that. That's really important that we've got this other voice. I think it's shortlisted and you know, I might shortlist sort of 15 to 20. Roxy will do the same with her batch and then we read each other's. And then we've got like a basically a shortlist of 35 to 40 that we whittle down to the selection. Um, so that's how it works. So to be supported that you're getting read by at least two and very often three people have read that application script before it gets selected. So just to, to clarify, it's not just a single person doing the old thumbs up, thumbs down. You got often three people doing thumbs up, thumbs down. Because we're sort of looking for that, this quality of the script and quality of, of the talent and, and, you know, hopefully they match up, but, you know, some, sometimes you can get a disconnect there and like, hey, this is a great project, but the, the talent isn't strong or vice versa. So it's kind of like multiple thumbs sort of going all over the place uh, and sort of coming out with a group of films that we think is strong, but also we're all, always very much considering the diversity of that cohort that we're going to support that year because although you know our main goal is talent development i'm a talent executive that kind of overarching goal is diversifying who gets opportunities in the film industry you know who is getting those shots um so like that's a massive part of our consideration i guess the key point is to give yourself the best possible chance, take the time to make sure that your application has no mistakes in it. It it works against the criteria that you'll set out just so you can not get dismissed before your story's even considered. Like it's so important. I see that all the time. It's what I hear from people who are on panels. It's the easiest way to get dismissed. So yeah. Start drafting your application now and you can you can get you sort of get onto the system and you can you know, take a look at the questions and start really thinking about ruminating on it. How many applicants are you anticipating? So we got, I think last year it was like 140, 150, that kind of number in the north. Uh, and we supported around 9, 10 shorts last year. Wow. You got, you got like a 1 in 12 chance of getting it. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes this year. You know, we don't know how many applications we're going to get. The uh, Some things have changed around the fund. So the fund has now gone up from 15,000 max to 25,000 which I think is is welcome. But obviously that means that, you know, if everybody applied at 25, we would probably have to support fewer films because they're costing more. So I think in the guidelines, it stresses that you can apply for between five and 25. Um, and I think people should really consider, you know, can, you know, can they make that script as tight as it can be before you apply? Can you cut your days down from three to two? Can you tighten that budget uh, before you apply? Um, so that maybe you can come over 20 and not 25 or maybe 20 and you can maybe um crowdfund a little bit a little bit more or something like that um to try and help the budget a, a wee bit you've kind of uh, mentioned it but the questionability of the people that are actually giving you a yes or a no are they actually skilled enough in actually the craft of filmmaking to actually interpret you know myself as a director or a writer or whoever it is that's applying because many people are going to nerd out and they're going to be like you know this is an amazing piece of art and i've put so much effort in but are you going to be creatively literate to be able to understand what they're trying to do? Okay, I'm going to use the two words that are going to come up constantly if you're sort of looking at our shorts and, and hearing people speak about them. It's like voice and distinctiveness. 
Like the, the it's the classics. It's the yeah. it's the classics. I saw your faces there. It's like yeah, we've heard this before. I got PTSD right now. <laughs> I know you, you've talked about it on your other podcast. I know you have. Um, but that is it. Like it, it is. Like we're looking for people who have a point of view, have something to say, have an interesting, distinctive, different way of saying it. Like that's that that's voice, you know. And we know that people aren't going to have those fully developed voices like okay you, you look at like wes anderson for example and like you, you know, he's been in so many films now he has that clearly developed voice you know what you're getting with with his work it's a distinctive way of shooting and he tells distinctive work stories and we know that filmmakers aren't going to be at that level but we're looking for ones who who are thinking a little bit differently and do just maybe have seen something in life that is uh, that maybe I, I've not spotted is a frustration, is something of interest. I think that's what we're looking for. I think a lot of filmmakers' scripts are, are just a, a derivative of other things. And, you know, we're interested in filmmakers who just can make a really strong narrative drama script. But, you know, when you're, when you're talking to that, that, at that feature level, it is all about like who's, who, who's different, who's distinctive, who's, who can bring something special that we've not seen before. So when we're looking at talent, we're looking at people who have a hint of that. You've mentioned, obviously, Wes Anderson, right? Now, yeah. obviously, between where filmmakers are at right now and the whole purpose of the Short Film Fund, there's a huge gulf between mm. the skill level of people applying yeah. and Wes Anderson, right? Yeah. I'm sure that Fair. Wes Anderson's early work that no one's seen was a pile of wank, right? For, for him <laughs> to actually get to where he is now, yeah. I'm sure that his framing was off. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, to me, what you're saying is, is that when you say voice and distinct, that's not for the creative to be sort of like trying to do that. That's your interpretation of what they're submitting because they're not going to go in and think, oh, Ben Taylor's going to think this is great voice and great distinctive, yeah. you know what I mean? Or it's jumping off the page or whatever. Yeah, It's interpretation, right? It's interpretation, but you're looking at people's work and thinking, yeah, are they, are they doing something that is distinctive? And you can see that on very low money. I know that this is going to be the second shout out for Liam White, but if you see Punch... You see, Punch Drunk, you know that is a distinctive piece. Like a a lesser director or a different director would have done that so much more traditionally. And basically, if people haven't seen it, it's basically one shot focused on one character's face the whole time. It is butt clenching stuff, and you're like, oh wow, he can do that through basically just two shots in the movie, basically. And and that that is distinctiveness. The other film that I always reference is uh, Nortenos by Gronmars. They're a um, Man Manchester-based directing duo. And Nortenos is two people speaking in a room. It is a little quirky, but it's all in the dialogue. It's, it's all in these characters that they've created. And there's one camera moving the whole thing. It, it's, it's, it's super distinctive. There's people who are coming at northern characters and northern sensibility and comedy in a completely different way um, and I really recommend people check it out because it's, it's brilliant but there's a bunch of filmmakers out there. I, w I want to push back a little bit Ben right because yeah go for it. look I love Liam right and and, yeah. and the, the, I haven't seen the film of the other duo but I'm sure it's sick and Mark, me and Marcus have discussed this in the past quite a lot yes directors that are doing that type of work great and it's amazing yeah. and, and that's what you go and you see a short film you think yeah that's different but a lot of people don't want to do that type of stuff. Yeah. They want to just be straight genre directors. Yeah. And I feel that in this country, sometimes, you know, there is an overemphasis on kind of like doing high art stuff. 
yeah. when actually people might just want to shoot sort of like you know they might want to go on to do something that's going to be on netflix like those sort of like mid-level yeah. budget action movies or whatever yeah because those styles aren't necessarily conducive to actually being a working director either which is probably the one way to make money <laughs> being a director yeah. like in the first 10 years of your yeah. career um so yeah it's, it's it's a weird balance yeah they are a couple of examples we also support people who are making you know that more traditional drama narrative pieces and and their work their work is sort of um reflective of that totally um you know we, we're not after just one sort of thing and you know we we're film north but you know we are sort of there to sort of feed into the bfi that's sort of the hope is that people take that step and if you look at all the bfi funding it is um it's all sorts of genre it's all sorts of stories all different types of pieces and so that's what we're looking to support as well. Like we are very open to horror. We're very open to comedy. We've recently supported a project that is, if like as close to like a sketch comedy show as you possibly could imagine a short film supported by a BFI fund being. Like we we're very open to different types of storytellers, different types of filmmakers, different types of content. I think I saw something about there being twenty five projects being chosen total. Is that correct? Yeah, you have seen that. And there's around 600 people applying in total. Yeah, that is the target. I've also seen that. But um, I don't know how that breaks down per region. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how that number is exactly comes to. But, and that is also across... That's across the England fund. So, yeah, you know, I guess that's going to equate to five, six, seven films per region. But because they're all different funding amounts, there'll be different numbers in different regions. Yeah, so... I mean, maybe you can help me out with the maths there, but it's probably what twenty-four, uh, one in twenty-four chance. I, 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 I'm not sure. I'm not not sure. Let me get my calculator. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's pr- I guess there's a bit of a lottery element, and this is just part of the parcel of what it is. I guess like you can't help it. It's a four percent chance. It is four percent chance. There we go. Thanks, us uh, former teacher Stephanie to help us all. Um, there's going to be a lot of unsuccessful applicants. It's difficult. Yep. There's no nice way of doing it. But I guess what advice can you give to the people who might be unsuccessful in this process? Yeah, it is um, it's a sad fact of our, our roles. And I think the industry in general, that you're going to get far more no's than you get yeses. In all applications, when you apply, you can tick a box that says, like, I would like feedback. And you should definitely tick that box. Uh, and you will get notes from you know, from, from whichever town exec has, um, has done that assessment. Um, but just because it's a no this one time doesn't mean it's a no forever, you know, and it may be that you're going to keep improving. Like you will go away and make another short and that one will be the one that sort of, you know, sort of tips it in your favor the next round. Um, there are a lot of filmmakers that will say, you know, make our short list we'll say no to and then we will you know maybe give those sort of extra encouraging words to be like okay listen you're close like we really like your work you're really interesting you know keep going because we really want you to apply you know again in the future um you know maybe it's people can come to one of our training programs they haven't already and we can find ways to support those filmmakers in, in other ways than, than just the funding um but yeah it, it is it is tough um but we we like to give nice no's if we if we can and and i think people deserve that because the application is you know it's not a short application process writers have you know this work is from their heart from their soul and 
you know, I'm, I don't want to just say like, no, not good enough, move on to the next one. You know, I, I do want more people to feel that they appreciate the application. You were saying earlier on about, look, the, the fund is to try and support filmmakers' eligibility, so they've got some sort of a track record, right? And obviously everyone's track record is different. BFI are not necessarily, and, and I might be wrong here, just going to pick someone who's just done nothing before the advice should it be that actually you need to put some of your own work in first you need to maybe shoot something yourself in, in terms of the guidelines you you have to have that track record um so yeah you know you, you have to go and make the film you have to go and make it yourself you do have to you know uh, put some pounds together and, and try and get something made you know for directors you know as if we need to see get a start to get a sense of style and ability i think with writers if they apply with a script that is like an absolute banger, like it is amazing, but their previous work is like very, very limited. Like maybe they've just been writing for a blog or something like that. We, we might still support that project if the director is also interesting, if the producer is also, we think they can deliver the, the film. If, if the script's amazing, the script's amazing. And with, with producers, you know, we're asking that question of like, okay, we're gonna, about to give them up to 25,000 pounds of public money um, you know, do we trust them to be able to deliver this or, you know, can we support them so that they can deliver it or, you know, yes, we think they can do the shoot, but maybe we need to bring on somebody who, who can help with the, the other elements that they don't have that much experience of. And if I've been unsuccessful with my application, can I apply with the same project again? No, unless, unless we give okay. a special dispensation, which is rare, which is rare. So, for example, this in the last round, um, there was uh, a project that was there was the team were really strong, the script wasn't quite there, and it, it was basically like right on the bubble, and they, they just missed out basically. It was a team that I really wanted to to support. Um, so, you know, I gave a fair bit of notes on that, and was like, listen, if you if you continue to develop this project, but you can apply with it again next year because you know we would really like you to because. Um, we really like you as, as a group of filmmakers and this project really interesting so sometimes we do but you do have to get a special permission to do it for me I, I wrote a film when I applied for the BFI funding I wrote a film which was one person in one location it was to be my first film and it got rejected oh, well, I got shortlisted but ultimately I didn't get I wasn't successful and then uh, I applied the following year and then it got a flat no which is like fine and then I went away and then I made a film which put me on the journey which I'm supposed to be on now but say if I hadn't if I couldn't afford to have gone to film school I would have then been reliant on you to help with the funding yeah. to get to the next level because yeah. I'd put all of my money into making this thing outside so then my next film would have been that one and I is is there no space you can do in terms of like going away making something and then coming back with this project which might have been dismissed because it was either too ambitious or for the, for the record i absolutely love it when we turn something down and then i see that filmmaker went away and make it anyway like that that says that that filmmaker's passionate then yeah they're not just waiting for a yes to go and make it like i i, I totally respect it i don't know i mean like so i went away and made a different one which was like even smaller in scale right okay okay and then like i had this one which was needed more money yeah so like is there anything you can do to go away and like make something else and build yourself up so you're like a step above yeah like where you were to then prove that you can then make this project which might have been rejected before but is more ambitious and needs more resources is there anything you can do on that front or do you just need to move on i it's a really case-by-case -case basis and i think that's where you know i don't know if you had a conversation with your talent exec and you know do you know that it was 
you or was it the scripts? And if there was the issue, you, it is worth having that conversation because, um, yeah, it may have just been that the script wasn't strong and you need to come up with something else, but they really like you as, as a filmmaker. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a tricky one. Different projects get turned down for different reasons. Um, and it's just best to have that conversation, figure out what's best. But um, yeah, we've definitely had filmmakers who we haven't supported one year. They go away, do something else, and you know, come back with a different project. Sometimes the same project, but it might have been the script. It was the problem, and we, won't, we still wouldn't support it. Yeah. It's, it's a case-by-case basis. I guess that kind of harks back to what me and you have spoken about before, Oz, is, is about momentum, is why if you write one thing, you just need to keep writing because ultimately you don't know what's going to drop. And if you put too much pressure on one project, it's going to crush you. Yes. <laughs> if if you, you like every up and down that project goes on, you're going to be going on with it rather than potentially moving on. That's that's really helpful to know. Once someone's you know made their first funded short, are the BFI looking at it so that they can support filmmakers throughout their journey? Because obviously, look, as directors, we can shoot in something really small, like you know, for a few hundred quid or whatever. And that can still take a long time for someone to pull crew together and build those relationships to get them to do that and make a film and get it in front of the right people to get to the next stage. But for the majority of people, that's not possible. Is there a chance that the the BFI fund is for people who might be coming back for their second kind of plate of, of, of that and they can make a case that actually this is actually going to benefit me because it's higher budget than what I've shot before? So do you mean the BFI network funds that we have done North? Yeah. You can be supported more than once, but we are looking for that kind of development and we're asking the same questions and will it take a filmmaker from one point in their career to another i think the best example of the filmmaker that we've supported in that way is um is dan thorburn who we direct we supported not long after he'd come out of university for a short film that was just two, just two characters it was a small short film um i think he got seven eight thousand pounds from us for it a really self-contained thing because he was an interesting creator and we wanted to sort of encourage that. So we spoiled that. It did pretty well at festivals. And then he came back in a couple of years later for Saltwater Town, which offered him a much bigger canvas, much higher production value, far more ambitious than what he was looking to do. And that gave him the, the maximum 15,000 pounds. And that was really a proper calling card short film that he's been able to use and leverage as he's then sort of taken on his career. So we do support filmmakers. We can support filmmakers more than once. We just have to have the reason to support them a second time when our funds are, are limited. Cool. Thank you. And is is there anything beyond BFI Network short film funding that you guys are doing to help filmmakers progress onto that next level, uh, like initiatives around training and shadowing schemes and, and things like this? For me, the talent pipeline, basically up to network is kind of there like this film academy and now the film academy plus and there's, there's the education system and i i think i think that's broadly working but the gap between getting doing a network short and then a feature is enormous and we are totally aware of that and i think the future takes funds that has um you know, recently been open and is going through the assessment process now like, I think that is to try and bridge that gap between network and features. It's still going to be a really big gap, um, but I think that is there. But we are also trying to do stuff within Film of North to support those directors who's, who are looking to take that next step and, and are very much ready to do it. Um, we don't have any formal pathways that we run ourselves, 
but it's always trying to make connections into industry and try and find ways to make that happen. So we run like the Scratch Me program with recently with Fullwell, and we sort of got some of the directors on to, on there to you know put those directors in front of, of Fullwell. We've um, we're speaking to other production companies about trying to get shadowing schemes, trying to get sort of the dream would be someone doing second unit, for example. We're trying to get those, but you know it's very much so on top of the job that we already do in our, on, on our day job, and 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 it's tricky because we don't actually have those natural connections into industry. Um, you know, we don't know what's shooting in the north, um, but we would like to try and find those opportunities where they are. But you know. You, you sort of start to have those conversations and you, and you realize how tricky it is. So I'm speaking to a uh, production company who have a, a retard, returning drama series. And, you know, they said like, yes, we're really interested in doing something like this, but we have a roster of directors. And then we have an even bigger roster of directors who are on like the backup and we're trying to get opportunities for. So to bring in new directors then, it's really challenging. And also he was saying that the directors who are on the show, like they are a little bit worried about training new directors who could potentially take their jobs. Like it, it's a really challenging thing. Um, but you know, I totally get it. But I do feel like the the industry is understanding that there is there is need to be these training schemes to help directors get that shot. Um, and I do I do sense that it's improving in that regard. People are aware of it and trying to make it happen. It's great to find talent and fund their films. But obviously what happens is then you've got like a, a big bucket of seasoned short film directors stood around trying to get their first long form gig. And, and, and that's not that's not, you know, I'm not placing that at your feet. It's just there's no pathway. So it becomes really, really difficult. And I think a few of those people that are in that um situation can actually give up the day jobs and go on to the next one it, it, it's a challenge it's so tough it's so I, you know i don't i don't have the situation of these directors are in especially you know we've had the, this you know great opportunity to do the network short and maybe you know maybe it hasn't resulted in getting an agent or having those conversations developing execs it is really tough and you know for those those filmmakers do they have to go make another film where does that money come from yeah film four and, and bbc films do also support shorts these other routes do pop up, but it, it is really challenging. It is really, really tough. You can understand um, why people get jaded or why they become cynical and why they do get frustrated because, you know, they know that they can do the thing, but they can't get anyone to believe that they can do the thing for them to be, I guess, trusted. You look at a first feature, you know, if it's going to cost 1.5, 2 million, if you're doing it through the public system, you're going to be asking BFI for money. It's going to be, you know, BBC or Film 4. It's going to be the regional funders. So we're going to give you between 300 and 700 pounds each basically that's what's going to have to happen and it's like okay if you've only got a couple of shorts behind you are they that you present a lot of risk and obviously the those bodies the public funders should be taking risk on talent but the, it, it is still a, it's still a, still a risk and i think that's what you know future takes has sort of been about is okay who who are the those strongest directors who are knocking on the door of a feature and can we get them another higher budget short to really prove themselves and you know look at someone like charlotte wells who is just supported by um bfi and screen scotland and she's repeatedly made really strong shorts um and it de-risks her as a director um 
and it makes us think, okay, she's she's got it. She can handle a feature. Um, but it's about making that case. What? Well, how do you make that case? It is really hard. It's about, okay, I've made these two distinctive short films. I've also managed to, you know, get on a shadowing scheme. I've also managed to get an episode away. I've also managed to do this. I've also been working in this space. It It's tough. It is really hard. I think every, everybody's aware of that. So just wanted to get your opinion on this. So a couple of years ago, Michael Sheen had said a thing where it's just not fair that certain people get certain kinds of opportunities and other people don't. And, you know, at that time, the latest Office for National Statistics Labour Force survey data collected in the summer of 2020 suggested that ongoing class crisis in the arts. So for producers and directors, 61% were middle class. In screen occupations, only 25% of the workforce is working class. As somebody who's in charge of funding pots and you, you, you decide which films are going to get funded, what are your thoughts on those statistics? Yeah, he's, he's totally right. Like You feel that as you move through the industry and you feel that as you're trying to get into it. Like I, I totally get that. He's not wrong. Um, so I'll say that I'm pretty confident that now as part of, sort of BFI's KPIs, who, who gets the short film funding, who gets funding full stop, um, people from working class backgrounds is now something they are specifically looking for. Um, which I think is a really good step in the right direction. I think people now understand that as, you know, as, as an accessibility question almost. Um, and I think that's right. And I think the way that, you know, we want to be open to people, anyone with talents, that includes people from, you know, less economically developed areas or however you want to describe it. Um, our funding is about having those open doors and providing pathways. And say you're new and you want to get into the industry, you know, there should be film academies near you. There should be some, there'll be film academy plus opportunities coming soon. Um, and, and we, I said, our door is open to speak to those people and really help them out as, you know, from someone who is like from those kind of areas, I, I really want to support them, really want to get them in because I think there's perspectives there, there's points of view, there's issues that those people can see that you know, middle-class people will not see and not fully understand and by not having those stories it's it's not um it's not showing the full culture and the, the full state of, of the country which i think is ultimately what arts funding should be about and within within the funding is there like bursaries again to help with like the accessibility and stuff if people need to travel to and from and are the writer director and producer allowed to pay themselves uh when making these shorts and if not are there any plans to include a buyout for the filmmakers to take part in these schemes um in the guidelines now new for this year the writer director and producer have to pay themselves um and like we'll be enforcing that it will not just be a second contingency um but we'll be enforcing that i think that's right you know the maximum is still twenty five thousand. Let's be, let's be real; it's it, it's not a massive amount, but you know it can be equitable with the kind of HODs that that you bring on, and that's sort of the idea. So yeah, you can you can fund yourself. Also on the accessibility question, um, when you do your budget, say your budget to make your film is twenty five thousand. That's what you need, but for accessibility reasons, you need more money. Be that you know, say you're, you're, you're a carer, you need support there, or maybe there are physical accessibility needs that you need to, you know, and you're working in a studio space, you need to adapt that. You can ask for more money on top of that 25,000. So that, you know, any, any cost that you think would preclude you for, from taking part in our funding or being supported, like they will be covered on top of the actual production costs. And I think that is 
really that's, that's really essential and i'm so glad the bfi do that um it's something they have done in previous years and maybe it hasn't been communicated as well as it could be but um yeah that that's, that's a really broad part and we've used it on a couple of projects and it's been invaluable cool amazing so do you think there's a north south divide and how is that changing is it changing or is it look like it's changing actually it's not when you look at the hard data i want to feel like we're moving in the right direction in some ways so it does feel like um there is a desire from like, certainly government um definitely bfi definitely film forward definitely bbc definitely the, the broadcasters to have more out of london production and have more out of london and the sort of southeast um project supported and you are starting to see that so you're so you're starting to see that more production companies setting up in an off- office in the north uh, and in scotland in a really real way that you do get some fear sometimes like oh they've just set up a, an office in in you know in, in bradford so they can say that they've got this one person they're based in bradford when actually they're not um but you're seeing companies like Fallwell who you are setting up there in, in really setting up an office there and you know even looking at studio spaces in there i've spoken to baby cow recently who you know, also setting up a manchester office it, it does feel like it's legit that there is an aim to be out of london in terms of where productions go and i also think it's becoming more legit in stopping that kind of lift and shift so it's you know the the, the sort of claim was those london production companies shooting in the north and they're just taking all london crew up there to do the shoot um, well, you might have seen the Screen Yorkshire and the sort of um, the group of the screen agencies, so Liverpool Film Office, North East Screen, and the Manchester Film Office, have just received like a, you know, a fairly hefty chunk of money to provide training opportunities, placements on productions that are coming to the north to help people get onto them. And the hope is that that will build the crew base and make it so that when people are thinking, okay, where do we want to shoot, they can say Sheffield. You know, they they could they could say another part of the north because they know the crew is there. So I do I do feel like it's improving. Um, it it's still going to be a hard a hard fought thing because people just are in London. There's whole swathes of the industry that are in London. Distribution, sales, the majority of the post industry is all in London. Um, so it is going to be a hard push. Even cast as well. And if you shoot somewhere else, you got you got to put them up Com- completely. But my hope is that people will be able to live and work in the north if they desire and be able to work regularly on productions that's the hope like you see it up until now it's been a little bit we do have some returning drama series um but there's there's nothing like those high-end dramas um that can sustain a whole area so for example when i was up in glasgow like outlander employed so many people year round people were able to step up on it there was the Outlander trainee scheme supported by Screen Scotland that was supporting 20 trainees a year. A real, you know, a, a real incubator of talent. And I don't think there's many of those in the north to that scale. Uh, but hopefully we'll start to get there and, and start to really make the north a, a genuinely viable place to base a production fully for its production. Amazing. Thank you so much for that. I think, I mean, that kind of covers our questions but obviously we've had a bunch of listeners' questions, so yeah, come at me. I think we'll we'll aim to like fly through these. And the first one's very fun. Um, should a straight white male bother applying? 
Yes. Yes. <laughs> of course you should. Like, okay. Right. Listen. <laughs> we, we're about diversifying the industry. And it, it's so important in culture and arts that we have a diverse workforce. There are areas in the UK that are less diverse than others, where people don't see people different from themselves. So their only perspectives on people of colour at all is through the media they consume. And I think possibly that's why they sometimes have the perspectives that they do. The people in key creative roles, they shape culture. And I do believe that in turn, that then shapes society. And I think people want to see themselves in culture. And if they don't, then I think it's very easy for that kind of person to feel ostracized or not part of a community or even feel like unwelcome in the country if they are not then portrayed um, in media, in culture and in film. And I guess my hope is that by diversifying who tells the stories, we'll get more diversity in the stories and hopefully then create a more inclusive community overall. So... Yes, it may be tougher now if you're a straight white man to get the funding that was a much easier tick box before. <laughs> and we need to be offering opportunity to diverse voices at our level so that hopefully over time, those people will rise up through the ranks and become the creative leaders of tomorrow and help diversify that level of filmmaking. Uh, you know, it's all well and good always offering opportunities at our level but I think you do also have to have that higher up too. But if you are the strongest straight white man, if you're a very good film, your script is amazing, your previous work is strong, you'll get supported. It's fair. It's all good. We've supported lots of straight white men. I'll even say, I am also a straight white man. What? Yeah, <laughs> believe it. <laughs> believe it. I can't believe you're just going to drop this on us now. You've been yeah, speaking sorry. for an hour. Yeah, I've had the camera off this whole time. They didn't realize. Um, no, it's... I mean, thanks for the question, because you sort of give me a soapbox to stand on. Um, but yes, you, sh you should apply. You should totally apply. Yeah, and the whole culture war thing, it, it only exists to flare up places who... or people who don't have exposure to people of colour, because yeah. no one's coming to take over. <laughs> just talking about our experiences no. for once. This, this literally is in the same way as which you guys are. Um, it's a fair question though because I think there is a sentiment that you know a lot of like straight white guys might be thinking well you know what the fuck's the point? Yeah we do have KPIs, key performance indicators, we do have targets that we're, that we're looking to hit in terms of those diversity issues so we are looking to but the, the reality is they're not that much stricter than what the population is anyway in reality yeah so it's it's only sort of it, it's an equitable system i think and like i said if, if you're if you're the strongest filmmaker or one of you know the top few strongest filmmakers and your script is really strong the application is really strong the likelihood is that you will be supported like totally cool debunked so interesting question this oh god a filmmaker shop front are their films and yeah and getting funding is competitive so why do BFI give NFTS graduates money to make more shorts when these graduates have already made three at their film school? Shouldn't you also support disadvantaged filmmakers who haven't made 
as many. So, for, so first off, you know, I'll stress again, like we're film of North, like I'm not, not the BFI. I don't have a hand in who, who makes decisions within the BFI. I think stuff like that is optics from people from outside of London, I guess. People think that we are BFI. We are a little bit honestly. You know, we are distributing the BFI's short film funding. And, um, you know, we, we are advising the BFI on who should get funding in the North. Um, but we are film of North. We have those connections to Northern filmmakers. Maybe they've done a scheme within the NFTS and Leeds, but um, most have not gone to the proper NFTS um, school in London. It's it's a question, but it's because our part of money is sometimes looking to do two things. You know, like I said about like Dan Thorburn, you know, his second short was sort of of the level of somebody coming out of NFTS, but we supported his first short when he was. You're relatively fresh out of university and hadn't done that much. So if somebody hadn't gone to film school for whatever reason, couldn't afford it, you know, because lots of people can't, but they'd been making stuff off their own back and were passionate and had projects that were interesting and distinctive, I could easily see us supporting that person. It's not either or. So this is a fun one. You say that about everything, and then I'm worried. I get worried about it. It's because they're all fun. <laughs> yeah, don't worry, you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> so we're in an industry full of disappointment being someone who has the power to disappoint do you think the industry is fair in terms of our, our funding it is fair i want to say and because we want to have that open door policy you know our applications are getting read by multiple people and i do think we end up supporting the correct project fairness is a massive bar what we do is the industry overall hiring in the production side of the industry should be looked at by somebody i don't know who that person is but jobs are just like you don't see jobs posted anywhere it doesn't exist well the only way they are posted is you know maybe a production manager sticks on twitter i'm looking for a runner in two days time i'm looking for a driver we're looking for this in two days time and that is not a fair way to do hiring and as a result you're getting people hiring the people they know going back to the people they know and you know still currently in the industry the people in those time positions will usually be white people mostly men because they're sort of you know they've been able to be elevated and been able to continue working even though maybe they have kids at that point and women have had to drop out of the industry which that also isn't fair white people mostly know white people and that structure is keeping people out of the industry and on a bfi film you're going to have to go through the diversity standards saying uh, uh, which means that your crew does have to have a diversity as a major part of it solid answer i think there's also just to go, go on that as well like i think you guys come under a lot of pressure because you're like one of the big organizations that's actually doing anything <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> like to support uh filmmakers uh, there's there's really not much else going on, so you take most of the heat just from being. Um, um, there. We should. So, um, yeah. We're the BFI, um, and therefore so North. Like we are distributing public money. That's money from the government. It's all that money's. We should be held to account. The BFI should be held to account. I have no problem with that. But you know, there's major parts of the industry that aren't sort of working within public funding. It is a business, uh, um, and they're thinking of it that way. So, um, this is a fun one as well. Stop saying that. They're never fun. They're never fun. <laughs> the fun one would be like, you know, Ben, what's your favorite dessert? Like, that'd be a really fun one. Cheesecake. 
That's at the end. Uh, there's been a ton of feedback over the years that exact personal taste is the deciding factor rather than an objective criticism for choosing projects. What are your thoughts on this? Listen, we're individuals uh, and, you know, a degree of personal taste can come into it sometimes. But the fact is we have that structure where to be selected, you're going to be read by one of the readers of the BFI. You're also going to be read by the other talent exec in the region. So the question of taste will possibly get watered down um, within that system. So I might really like something because I just think it's, it's, it's cool and it, it works to my taste and my kind of genre. But if the reader and, and Roxy think, no, this isn't quite there, then it wouldn't get supported. I'd get pushed back on. Um, what are the biggest mistakes often made when submitting an idea to a fund? Um, and I think that this is talking to the kind of on-trend topics that you might want to push or, you know, if there's an agenda of the type of stories that you want to support. For me, like the, the, the biggest thing that makes an application weak is the script. Like the script is the start and end of, of the production most of the time like I, I really do think that a director can you know add you know 23 percent on top of a script but if the script isn't there then it that project isn't going to it isn't going to work isn't going to go and i think there are mistakes with your scripts repeatedly um often splitting point of view um often people with like passive main characters where things are just happening to the character and they're not driving the story. And there can be situations where that works. So if I'm working one now where a, a character is basically being dragged through the story by another and, and it can work. You can find ways of working on it, but um, there are these some fundamental script problems that we see time and time again. And I think addressing those and making a script as strong as it can be. If you've got a really strong script, you'll probably get shortlisted. Like it, it's it's as simple as that. I would say. Um, I think there's things that you can do to try and help that script. I'm, I'm a big fan of the John York ten questions. It's a well known thing, but it really is worth like you know running your script through them. And if you do think something that looks like, oh, I I can't answer that with a script, you know, maybe there's maybe there's an issue there to to address. But yeah, it's it's, it's the script that is is the big issue. Great. What could be done to make the guidelines more accessible and less focused on jargon? The BFI tries to make its guidelines as clear as it can be. It is technical. The BFI business affairs team are going to get involved in it. it it's it, it, it's contractual. It is. It, it needs to be quite involved, and you know you do have to read it. They have done many ways to try and help people um, in terms of how you apply. If you, you can apply through like video recording, for example, um, BFI also works with Tape Collective with people who may be struggling with uh, actually completing the application process. There's lots of things we do. We are here. You can come and have a conversation with the talent execs. If there's something you don't understand, come to one of our roundtables and just ask it. Uh, and I guess there's a the chance that other people will be wondering that as well. Um, the guidelines, you know, they're, they're a legal thing. They're they're a serious business thing. Um, but we can help you try and demystify that. Um, just just drop me an email. Like, come to our roundtable. We'll have a conversation, help you figure it out. Because we want to give everybody the best shot of success as they can. Great. Is it better to apply with a partially funded project? Um, it wouldn't 
move the needle that much because we're still the fundamental questions would be is this ta is this talent strong uh and is this script the right platform for them like those are still the two key questions okay and i think last up i think we touched on this earlier in terms of like rough statistics but um what what is the ratio in terms of applicants and um successful applicants and would you be able to provide that based on uh london and outside of london as well we had like 140 150 applications last time we supported around 10 so you can work that out i'll tell you right now it is so much harder in london they are getting far more applications than us um and their their pot of money isn't necessarily bigger so it, it is it is more challenging in london i don't have their figures it's a lot of if you like add up all the hours of free work people have to do just for applications it's insane um, I don't disagree that the applications are a challenge. They're, they are very big. It's a lot of work. I do think of people like um, parents, for example, who you know might have to take a chunk of time out to put in this application, and you know it might be costing them money um, to to actually put in the app to even write the application. Um, yeah, it is a challenge. Uh, it's something that I, I I think the BFI tries to make it straightforward as it can be but like i said it does need to be, it does need to have you know the questions that it asked i get it amazing well thank you so much i think that will conclude like the bulk of our chat so um thank you it was um, lots of fun questions there. <laughs> so much fun <laughs> uh what is your favorite dessert well i, I did say i did say it was, i would say a cheesecake like if if a, if i spot a cheesecake on a menu i'm thinking all right i might skip the start because i want to make sure that i can fit that cheesecake in I still have dreams about me in fact me and you as we have dreams about a cheesecake we once had in <laughs> where was it in, in Caceres in uh in, in Spain. Spain yeah I can't remember where it was yeah well, it sounds like a lovely time yeah it was uh yeah that's that was the the highlight of our time on Friends was that cheesecake <laughs> I, I genuinely have it as one of my one of the screensavers like the backgrounds <laughs> on my Apple watch it's it was that special. I don't think I'm taking a photo. Of it. Um, it was I phenomenal. Remember, I can remember good cheese. <laughs> it was phenomenal. Like, like like to get that cheesecake again, we'd have to go back to Caceres to have it. There's a perfect kind of. You don't want it to be like some cheesecakes you get, and like they're almost gelatiny. They're almost like kind of floppy, and I, I don't want that. No. I want one with a with a structure to it for sure. That was the one. So I'm pulling up a picture of it. Oh, okay. Marcus is showing me the cheesecake. That does look good. It was special. You have to post it on the uh, in the comments of when this episode goes out. Uh, so that they know. Yeah, in the show notes, links yeah. to yeah. We'll Marcus make it the main picture cheesecake. on our on our yeah. episode. Yeah, do it, do it. And like, <laughs> Instead of Ben, we'll just put the cheesecake. Make, black, make a black and yeah, white yeah, picture yeah. of the cheesecake. Yeah. <laughs> this brings us on to our next section, which is called a week in the life. When you troll through people's social media, it looks like everyone's just constantly winning, and the reality of it is that everything you know in this game is slow and it takes time and people's weeks don't look like what they might look like on a curated social media feed so no matter how bog standard no matter how mundane what was your week like ben i had a, v a very chill bank holiday to be honest i did very little I watched a lot of yellow jackets i finally started watching yellow jackets which is really good i like it a lot but also i've just bought a house so lots of sort of it's a renovation bits of looking at things and being like is that a problem have i got a major problem here 
Um, that that kind of operating, that kind of thing. Are you in the house now? Yes, I'm in the I am in the wardrobe of that house. Yeah, he's in the cupboard. Yeah, I saw you know saw Hourglass do it. You know, he's the don of, of, of podcasting. I'm coming on. You invite me to your home. There'll be a podcast home, and I was like, I want to make sure they have the best audio quality possible. So that's why I'm in. Yes, my girlfriend's closet. <laughs> Nailed it. And how about you, Oz? What's been going on? It's been a chilled weekend. I've just been relaxing, and I've just been watching a couple of films. And uh, as my week in the life, I didn't. I've not mentioned it before because I just slipped my mind. But we did a um, the Screen Yorkshire Talent Lab that I was on. We finished that actually last month. It was early last month, um, and we pitched to commissioners after six long months of developing a project, and that was invaluable. Like I've never pitched before, and we spent a long time um, in my team working on that pitch, and it was it was really really good. It was such a good learning about you know how to pitch and just sort of like how much information you share and who says what and what kind of visual aids you have with you as well so that you don't lose the people that you're pitching to. Um, yeah, we got we got really positive feedback um, and we got feedback post as well after after we pitched it as well, which was good. Now, I ask you, what was, what was the actual process of pitching? Because I do think that's something that lots of people get a bit confused about and even me to an extent because I've put on pitch training before but then I went away to Screen Scotland. It wouldn't, people weren't standing up and doing a presentation. It would be a conversation. They would tell about the project that they've got in mind and maybe we'd say, okay, you should put an application for that. Or maybe they have, and then we have that conversation. It's like, like pitching doesn't always happen like that. But were you actually doing the standing up and saying, this is my, this is my show? No, we weren't, we weren't stood up. We were, we were sat down because it was a bit like yeah. a, a speed dating vibe. Um, and so you'd have like film four in one bit, you'd have, Netflix on another, you'd have, you know, different production companies. And then um, the Screen Yorkshire peeps had kind of um, put us into different slots with different people based on what they thought that our projects would um, resonate and, and appeal to that particular um, person. And we had a few commissioners in there as well for like Channel 4. So we were sat down um, yeah. and we would, you know, obviously do the greeting, just like you said, it's like a conversation. And it really is like a conversation. I know everyone yeah. says it's like a conversation, but you have to do it and go through it to understand mm -hmm. that it is a conversation. Yeah. Um, you can do sort of like your rehearsed spiel, but very quickly you realise that that's if if you're not a performer and you can act, then that's not gonna that's not gonna wash because it's like well, like right, you're boring me now because this is not natural. I, I've never liked getting the spiel. Like when I've been that side of the table uh, and whatever job it is, like when someone's giving me the spiel, I'm always like, okay, you're just doing this rehearsed thing. I I. You know, give like give me like the themes, give me the the arc, give me the, the basics, and then let me sort of ask you questions. And yeah, we have that conversation. Um, I just think some people think that when it's pitching, it is like standing up, like you're going no, we bully to ask for BC money or something. We we, we bully pointed it so that mm. we had headroom to yeah. improvise what we were saying, so it was more natural. Um, and we, we we ran some tests as well. We did about four tests. The day before, with different people through our contact base, and they they, they said to us like, "No, that don't make sense. That that's not natural." So, that were that that was the best way for all three of us to say what we said. I think for me, it's always been about you know making sure that you've got those like key talking points that you want to get out there. Make sure there's like certain things you definitely want to go across, um, but you know make sure you find a way to sort of weave them into into that conversation. Um, because yeah, I've had pictures where people just you know whip out an iPad and start showing me things, and if it's a documentary, maybe that's essential, but. I'm almost like, this is all a waste of the limited time that we have. Like, I just want to have a conversation and interrogate this idea. Yeah. Cool. And Marcus, what about you? 
Yeah, I, I went to the theatre on Friday, actually, um, and watched for black boys who have considered suicide when the hue gets too heavy. Um, I'm not a theatre person. My brain's too literal. I, don't, I can't do the, the imagination exercises they do to enjoy it properly. Um, but this was incredible. Like It was it was like a mixture of sort of like stand-up, spoken word, and, and sort of, um, yeah, poetry. And it was, yeah, it was just great. It was really, really cool. Um, so uh, there was a really sort of active theatre, good energy in there. Um, but beyond that, I just had a chilled weekend, had some dinner, had some drinks, saw some friends, lots of gelato, it's lovely. Nice. And then, uh, and then, yeah, kind of prepped for this and did a bit of a prep for the film, which I'm hurtling towards a rapid pace, which will be shooting this month. So it's all kind of moving. Great. And that brings us on to the old nugget of the week. What we'd like to ask you, Ben, is what has inspired you this week? Right, you asked me, you asked me this, and I've got a few things that have inspired me this week. So first off is um, I watched uh, Three Colours Red, and I've sort of been re-watching the Three Colours trilogy because it's been on the cinemas, and there's the 4K re-release coming out on uh, on Blu-ray. And like Christopher Zlowski's films are consistently inspiring to me. Like I like. They just they make me want to go and make a film. I just sort of watch them like, why can't all films be like that? Like, he's just incredible at you know the, the music, the sound, the the colors, the textures, sort of getting under the skin of his characters. And um, I read like years ago Kislovsky on Kislovsky, the the book, and there's a, a bit in there that's always stood stood with me where he said he stopped making documentaries because he didn't feel like he could tell the truth with documentary. He had to use fiction to tell deeper, more sort of, just more significant and philosophical truths about people. He had to do that in fiction. The documentary didn't allow him to do. And you see that in his work. And I guess it's something I look for in other work. It's like, what are you, what are you telling me? What are you showing me about life, about people, about society? And, and how, how are you doing? His works are just wonderful if you've not seen the three color trilogy absolutely watch them they're wonderful and the showroom in sheffield have had like um like one week they showed blue then white then red um yeah the, sh- the showroom's program with them is absolutely on point they're doing incredible stuff i saw um black girl for the first time on sunday night they've got funeral parade of roses playing in a couple of weeks time it's like a f- another thing i absolutely adore yeah the showroom has been inspiring and you have another one. You said you had. A... Yeah, I've also just finished reading *Dark Matter* by Michael Winterbottom, the book where he speaks to directors about all the projects that they didn't make, and talking about um, just basically them talking about the state of the industry and trying to get money for it. Uh, and it's really interesting if you want to know more about, I guess, the part of the industry I sort of work in, the kind of financing and decision making part of it. It is really interesting, and you know, a couple of directors stick the boot into the BFI, but. BFI published it, so they must be all right with it. Uh, and the third is, it's, it's a little funny thing that I saw yesterday. I discovered an art, a German artist called Hans Hemmert in, I think it was the late 90s. He threw a party where everybody had to be the same height. So everybody had to be two meters. So if you turned up to the party and weren't two meters, you had to put on platform shoes and make everybody the same height. And it looks bonkers. The photos look bonkers because it's just all these people just walking around on these big blue stilts. Um, but it did make me think, like, okay, does that make everybody feel a bit more equal? So you're not looking up, you're not looking down. And as a sort of shorter man myself, I thought that was very inspiring. 
Uh, so what what was that German artist called again? Sorry, Hans Hemmert, H E M M E R T. And how about yours? So Nathan Bryan, who wrote Rylane, um, whenever he speaks on any podcast or anything like that, he's definitely a big inspiration. And he was on a podcast called the Black Prose Podcast, and there's a little snippet of him about talking about how it's beneficial to be audacious, and what he means by that is if you need to email someone. Like, for example, if people need to email their local talent exec, just write the email and email them. You never know where it's going to lead. When we release the episode, I'll put it onto the Twitter comments and I'll put it into the comment on Instagram as well. But it's a wonderful little piece about he, about how he took his own initiative. And I know um, people who, if they listen back to our episode one and two, both me and you, Marcus, talk about sort of like striking while the iron's hot. You know what I mean, and just 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 reaching out to people and not and not fearing it. I think he talks about his mate guessing the email of the head of Warner, uh, which Marcus and I, when we were on HBO, we were like, Marcus wanted to get on Last of Us. We were like, you know, what? we can guess the email of Craig Mazin. It must be this, this, and this. Whatever our email handle was. I've done so much email guessing in my time. Cool. That's that's mine. Uh, yeah, and I guess mine this week. Um, that it's on topic, so it's it's a podcast which is done by BFI Network and Film Hub Southeast. It's called Shorthand, A Guide to Making a Short Film. So it had our our guest last week, um, Helen Simmons, it had her on. Um, but it covers every single aspect of doing a short film. So it's got an introduction, it's got writing, it's got directing, producing, budgeting, casting, crewing up, cinematography, directing actors, um, being on set and editing. So it's got everything covered. So if if you're in the process of doing this sh- this short film thing, yeah, it's it's really good. It, it really takes you through through the arc of making short film. The other thing I would the other podcast I was massively recommend is Best Girl Grip. Yes, um, Nicole Davis um, podcast. Who's also a talent executive. So I think that's probably it. Thank you so much, Ben. It's been super enlightening. So we appreciate you taking the time and good luck to all the applicants of this this BFI network. Yes, uh, funding. Good luck. It's very tricky, but um, I mean. This is why I think mine and Oz's perspectives are interesting because I've never been successful with funding, but Oz has, and we've both ended up in the exact same place. So it, it doesn't matter how you get there. Yeah, I, I do feel that some of the best films in the North like, haven't been supported by us. I don't want to put myself out of a job here, but I think you, with a small amount of money, you can make something that's really effective. Um, so if anyone does happen to be listening, get your questions in at the directors take at outlook.com and we want you to tell us what you want to know about directing or the film industry at large and we'll do our best to tell you. We want to shape this as a resource for you so do get your questions in and reach out to us on Instagram which is the directors take podcast and we are also on Twitter at directors take and where can people find you Ben? We're Film of North. You can go to our website and look at our opportunities. Um, we are opening our program for directors is opening today as a record the 2nd of may uh closes at the start of june script lab is also opening for application for writers the short film fund is open we have lots of roundtables coming up um so yeah go to our website sign up to our newsletter and we're on all the socials as well um and thank you all for your engagement on social media so far the feedback's been really really strong so do keep sharing it helps us get the word out even further and if you really like the show then leave us a review on whichever platform you get your podcast from because it all helps and until next time keep learning keep failing and keep the faith